0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, and my name is Joseph Backholm, and it is my honor and privilege to be sitting in for Tony Perkins today. And we are running down the events of this week. President Biden... Uh, for all his many weaknesses, certainly can get a reaction and that is what he did yesterday at his uh, at the speech he gave on the one year anniversary of I guess coronavirus, of course, it had been around before that. Um, I'm not certain. I know exactly why that was the one-year mark that we decided, but it was the one-year mark we they, they had identified. And, and he talked about it, and we're going to talk about what he talked about with Marty McCarry, who is a professor at Johns Hopkins University. But before we get to Dr. McCarry, we are also going to uh, just Preview what you got coming for the rest of the show at the end of the program. We're going to think biblically about fairness with David Clawson. The Fairness Act, uh, fairness for all, is is being debated in Congress. And we could see this voted on in the next uh, handful of weeks. And we're going to talk about what does fairness mean. We're also going to discuss uh, with Bob Fu whether China has ended democracy in Hong Kong they only want quote unquote patriots in office in Hong Kong. Uh, what does that mean for China and democracy there? And we're also going to discuss Amazon's decision not to sell Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Met Sally, has to do with transgenderism and Amazon. And Amazon actually sells 50% of all the books sold in America. They are no longer going to make this book available. What does that mean for speech, for censorship? What's the right response to that? We're going to discuss that with Justin Daniff from the National Center for Public Policy Research. But now, first off, we are going to get to President Biden's speech. It is getting most of the attention today. And uh, Bobby, in order to get us into this conversation, go ahead and play clip number four for us, and we can uh, listen to an excerpt. If we do all this, if we do our part,
1: if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together.
0: Joining us now is Professor Marty McCary from John Hopkins School of Medicine. Professor McCary, could you, uh, what was your response when you heard that? How should we be thinking about this?
1: Hey, well, it's good to be with you, Joseph, and call me Marty. You know, the reason that Biden puts the normalcy after the pandemic into the second half of the year is that his chief medical advisor, Dr. Fauci, is Pretty dismissive of natural immunity from prior infection. In fact, that number is pretty high, and that means if you add natural immunity and vaccinated immunity, you're probably going to hit herd immunity later this spring. So it's just a matter of the the, the fact that Dr. Fauci does not really acknowledge natural immunity in the at the same magnitude or the same prevalence that uh, some of us do in medicine. I think, you know, we got some solid data this year, this um, week to really prove us right. And that is in California, they released a study showing that when they tested people at random, 38% of the population of California has circulating antibodies to COVID. Now, that study was a month ago. They've had a lot of infections since then. So we're looking at upwards of 40% as sort of the natural immunity rate out there. some of that includes vaccinated, but they haven't had really good vaccination rates in California. So the country has about um, roughly 20% of adults have been vaccinated. So when you add 20% to 50%, we're going to see herd immunity a lot sooner than the calculations based on Dr. Fauci's estimate. If you notice, he's, he's really dismissive of natural immunity. He says have herd immunity when 70 to 85 percent of the population has been vaccinated. He only sees a path to herd immunity through vaccinated. I mean, that's why you're seeing the president say what he, he said. I don't blame him. He's, you know, the president, President Biden's nice guy. I'm sure he's, you know, doing his best, but he's getting bad advice.
0: Now, Dr. Fauci then has his His perspective on this, which he's feeding to President Biden. How robust is that debate within medicine? Where are the line? Where are the fault lines on this? The position that you've described of natural immunity is going to be really key to uh, to herd immunity. And it's going to come more quickly than we think. How many people within medicine would you say share your position on that?
1: Oh, I'd say maybe a quarter or a third are really paying attention to the numbers of natural immunity. Monica Gandhi from um, University of San Francisco, an infectious diseases doctor. Others have really uh, been speaking out about natural immunity. The old guard medical establishment, the 80-year-old docs like Fauci out there, tend to say, well, there's no data to prove that natural immunity is effective. That's their kind of position. The younger guards out there, you know, folks like myself are saying, open your eyes. We're not seeing reinfection rates in people who previously had infection. And we've got a year of data now. We've got a year of Italy data. We've got a year of UK data. We've got a year of, since New York got clobbered, reinfection rates are rare when they occur. They're less than 1% of cases, and they are often mild. So natural immunity works like it does for other things.
0: Well, I certainly hope that you're right, and I think all of Americans do, um, because when when we hear the president come out and say, "Hey, by July," and here we are sitting in early March, by July, you may be able to have small gatherings on the Fourth of July. That's it. it you know, a, a lot of people want to believe that this is going to happen and be done sooner than that. How would your yeah. recommendations differ? from what we're hearing from President Biden, from Dr. Fauci, from the CDC right now?
1: Well, as you know, Joseph, I put out a projection in the Wall Street Journal three weeks ago saying that we're going to hit herd immunity in April. And things are 100 percent on track. That projection so far is accurate and we're tracking. And if you look at the country, you look at the data. By the way, data is going to either show that I'm correct, that herd immunity is going to happen in April or May, or it's going to show that the other school is correct and we're not going to hit herd immunity until midsummer. And right now, if you look at the data, we've already hit herd immunity in the United States for healthcare workers. We've now immunized over 60% of people over 65. We're about to hit herd immunity for American seniors. We're about two weeks away from herd immunity in U.S. nursing homes. And in certain parts geographically in the country, we've hit herd immunity. North Dakota. North Dakota had a high seroprevalence prevalence rate. They did pretty well with the vaccine distribution. They've had six days with zero COVID deaths this week. I mean, we're doing pretty well. And I'm not saying this to tell folks, look, go out there and do whatever you want. What I'm saying is that let's be honest and level with the public on the – you got to be careful, Marty. You can't be putting these papers out in the Wall Street Journal. People will say, "I don't need to get the vaccine," or I can just be reckless and do whatever I want. I'm not saying that. We got to keep doing all the right stuff. But if you look at like the CDC guidance that just came out, it was so com- so complicated. It's as if they didn't learn their lesson from issuing complex guidance on vaccine allocation back in December. Everyone was confused. We're throwing vaccines in the trash. It was. You know, it's just too complicated. Let's make it simple, right? They should have used a simple age-based allocation. Now, they're doing the same mistake with what you can do after you've been vaccinated. I have a piece in the Wall Street Journal. I just put it on Twitter. Let's make this very simple. Four weeks after you get your first dose of the vaccine, live a normal life, okay? It's that simple. You can do whatever you want. You normal life. You're immune.
0: Well, I like the sound of that, and I know a lot of other people do, because we want to believe that living a normal life is, uh, is days or weeks away, not months away, um, in, in light of the fact that we've been doing this for a year. Now, I, my next question is going to sound cynical, though it's not intended necessarily to be cynical, but <laughs> n- reflecting back on the last year— What have the quote-unquote experts, Dr. Fauci, whoever's advising at the the government level, what have they gotten right to this point?
1: Well, I think it was good to have a lot of experts talking about the value of masking, and there's some basic public health education, and I appreciate Dr. Fauci's public comments on this. But honestly, I think he should be showing up to work instead of being a full-time interviewee on television. I mean, he's done every podcast. Cast that I've turned down because I don't have the time to do them, and he's on every. He's a full-time interviewee, and I guess it's okay for him to be. But he's wrong, and when the entire uh, public, when the entire country has put their faith and stock in one man who happened to be wrong on a few things, not on everything. I mean, the guy's got a distinguished career. I like him. He's a gentleman, but he missed the pandemic entirely. He got masks wrong. And he complained delaying the second dose to save more lives, something we should still be doing today. As long as we're supply constrained on the vaccine, people should get one dose and then wait like 12 weeks for your second dose. Now, I'm not blaming people who got their second dose on schedule. That's been the guidance. But people at the highest level need to put their heads together and do what's logical. A lot of experts have come out and said, why are we rushing the second dose? When all of this data tells us how effective the first dose is in the short, you wait till 12 weeks, we can get more people a first dose. A first dose is better than no dose. And that's why in the UK, they have official guidance to wait till 12 weeks or so for your second dose. You can save more lives. Yeah.
0: Do you think that the the very cautious approach that President Biden r- rolled out uh, yesterday is purely a matter of the medical advice he's getting, or do you think there's a political component to this still where there's a reason to want to kind of delay normalcy again?
1: You know, it's tricky as a, as a Christian, I want to see the best in people and recognize that we're a function of our circumstances. I don't know. I think that he has been getting, I think he's been getting bad guidance. I can tell you, however, that with this 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package, that my article on the fact that we're going to hit herd immunity later this spring did politicize that that piece of legislation, right? Because it put it in jeopardy. All of a sudden, people were saying, "Hey, wait a minute. If if Marty's right and we're going to hit herd immunity late spring in April or May, why are we passing <laughs> dollar?" Thing now, I and mean, is this really about COVID or is it about something else? I look. I, I was disappointed when masks got politicized, disappointed uh, when, when the virus got politicized. I never anticipated that herd immunity would be politicized and the reopening would be politicized. When you've got t- uh, 20 states now in the United States averaging less than four cases per day, that's the hard data. Okay, that herd immunity is coming, and we should plan accordingly.
0: Well, Marty, we really appreciate your information. Tell our listeners where they can find this. If people want some other, just another perspective and some good news, some optimism about where we're at with this, where can they find that with you?
1: (laughs) Well, thanks. I try to be data-driven, and my Twitter handle is Marty McCary, and um, people can connect on LinkedIn or any other social media.
0: Well, we will do so uh, because we appreciate all you're doing and we appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. And friends, stay with us because when we get back, we're going we're gonna to talk about free speech and censorship of books uh, with Justin Danoff. Coming back after the break. Hey, Matt. Hey,
2: Hannah.
3: What's going on? Why so gloomy?
2: Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it.
3: Oh yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do?
2: Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it.
3: Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out.
2: When did they start? I, I would be so far behind.
3: Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading.
2: Nice. Where can I find this?
3: Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started.
2: Where's that again?
3: frc.org Bible.
2: Got it. Checking it out now.
3: In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North
4: Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold.
5: course, you don't have to agree with the common sense, historic understanding of gender in order to acknowledge how dangerous it is for one of the biggest corporations in the history of the world to start banning books. Because while Amazon's censorship may start with conservative views, it could easily mutate to censor other views that offend Jeff Bezos and his bottom line.
0: That is the voice of Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas discussing... What we are now going to discuss, Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally, responding to the transgender moment, has been removed from Amazon after being sold on the marketplace for three years. Why the sudden change of heart? Well, Amazon announced that it will not be selling books that paint transgenderism and other LGBT identities as mental illness. And several GOP senators sent a letter to Amazon inquiring about the removal. And they have received an official response from the company. What is the response? What was the letter? Joining me to answer those questions is Justin Danhoff, General Counselor for the National Center for Public Policy Research and the Director of the Center's Free Enterprise Project. Mr. Danhoff, thanks for joining us.
5: Super important topic. Thanks for having me on, Justice.
0: Well, we are glad to have you, what was what was this letter, and uh, what what do you make of the response from Amazon?
5: Well, it, it wasn't terribly surprising, right? Uh, there was folks why Amazon is digitally burning books that it, it, it's fallen out of favor with, and the the short answer that Amazon senators is that we live in an era of post truth. They didn't say that, of course, but that's, if you read through the lines, exactly what Amazon is saying. Amazon has said that they know what the truth is, okay, and that they're going to make decisions based on their truth, where the truth used to be with a marketplace of ideas where the best ideas would win out, right? And Mr. Anderson himself, uh, his publisher, Roger Kimball at Encounter Books, has said that gender dysphoria is a real thing that needs to be debated in society. And that there's real mental health implications. So this book was an important part of that discussion. And has said, no, it's not, because it's not true. Because the American left, in every part of our cultural society, they have decided that truth is no longer an objective search, right? And, of course, the secular left is godless. So while you and I find truth in Scripture, because the Lord is the, the light and the truth and the way, they're secular and godless, so they, they just have to find their own truth and they find it in the secular world. And then they declare that what you believe is wrong because it doesn't comport with their worldview. That is, in a nutshell, Amazon.com.
0: Now, I'm old enough to remember when people on the political left used to say, I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Why has that changed? Why are they now, as you say, digitally burning books so certain ideas can't be communicated or shared?
5: Because they were losing many debates, right? And so they had to create these things starting on college campuses, but now reverberating into every cultural lane in America these things called safe spaces, where you have to protect people from ideas that the left hasn't deemed approved for society. And this isn't the only instance, right? Last month, a credible documentary about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was summarily removed from Amazon streaming services.
6: In the middle so of Black History Month, month. no doubt. No.
5: It was, yes, in the middle of Black History Month, okay? And, and they've been on this specific, this specific LGBT bandwagon for a while. I'm sure you know the name Jack Phillips. Um, I'm sure oh, yes. all your listeners know the name Jack Phillips, great American hero, went all the way to the Supreme Court to fight not just for— convictions but for years and mine as well and won a seven decision did you know amazon was part of the legal team that fought him all the way to the supreme court i bet you didn't and I, amazon wasn't I the only company that. there was 37 corporations that worked with the human rights campaign all the way up to the supreme court to try and join with the civil rights commission of colorado to put their boots on the neck of mr phillips religious liberty and you know praise god he, that he won and they lost but that's where corporate America is, and that's where they've been for a very long time. Uh, Amazon's yeah, the- situation here, very unique, because what they're saying is, we reserve the right to make content decisions. Okay, that's pretty interesting, because as you and I and most of your listeners know, that's not how they choose charities that are eligible for the Amazon Smile Charitable Program. They let the sub. Poverty Law Center act as the gatekeeper. And when I questioned Bezos, and when Bezos was questioned last summer by Congress, by the way, by Congressmen Jordan and Gates, he admitted that it's an imperfect system, but he doesn't have a better solution. Well, are you kidding? They just came out and said for Amazon.com purchases, Amazon deserves the right as the corporation to make the decision. Well, why don't they make their own decisions when it comes to who's eligible for the charitable program then? Of course, it's because they want to use someone else as a scapegoat for their own anti-religious bigotry in that instance to make sure that the fine folks at FRC and Alliance Defending Freedom and others can't make use of that charitable program. So I find the duplicity there very enlightening.
0: Well, and you you bring up a good point um, with – I think we all recognize this as a problem, but then there's this question of what do you do about it because you know, as free marketers, we generally don't want the government telling companies, this is what you must do, right? That's kind of the argument we made in the Jack Phillips case, is that he should be able to be who he is in his business. What do you think is the proper response? Uh, is it from government? Is it from the market? How do we react to this idea that these giant corporations, which in reality are the, are the primary distribution of speech now, and, and certainly books, what's the right response to this?
5: Constant and. Inv- Look, corporate America hasn't been aligned with the political left for 200 years. This is a recent phenomenon of the last about decade plus, right? And it's because the left culturally engaged with corporations. They did it as investors and outside groups that agitated for action. We need to do the same as Christian conservatives.
0: I think that's really good advice. Justin Dana from the National Center for Public Policy Research. Thanks for your time and thanks for your vigilance on this important issue
5: great
0: weekend and stay with us folks because on the other side we're going to talk about um another important liberty issue across the water in china in hong kong we're going to discuss with bob fu uh what's going on in china what is with the chinese government insisting that people be patriots we'll talk about it after the break
6: The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash china. Oh, man.
3: What's wrong?
6: I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today.
4: Oh, that's not a big
7: deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store.
4: Okay, that's Stand Firm.
7: Yep, Stand Firm.
8: How do you know all this?
7: Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story.
8: Huh?
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony Perkins. You can find this show and every program at TonyPerkins.com, and we encourage you to do so. Stream it there. China has long been a concern when it comes to human rights violations and This week, they have done some more concerning things. And here to discuss that with us is Bob Fu, who is the president of China Aid, as well as a senior fellow for International Religious Freedom at Family Research Council. Bob, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joseph, for having me again. Well, we are glad to have you. Uh, For those who may not have heard, tell us what's going on in Hong Kong.
7: Yes. Basically, the Chinese uh, rubber stamp of uh, so-called the People's Congress uh, resolution uh, decision to uh, change the Hong Kong election law. Uh, Basically, uh, this kills the so-called one country, two system design under the UK-China Joint Declaration in the Hong Kong basic law, that will uh, basically provide a foundation to remove uh, anyone who is deemed as a, 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 a not a patriot to be even eligible for candidates candidate for any political in Hong Kong.
0: So the only people who are allowed to run for office are approved by the Communist Party? Is that effectively what has happened here?
7: That is the essence. Basically, the so-called patriots, only patriots can rule Hong Kong instead of uh, what was promised is Hong Kongers governing Hong Kong uh, in 1984. And um means the, the Chinese Communist Party's definition of means uh, the absolute loyalist To the party leader Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party's ideology, uh, like uh, what they did to the Chinese uh, Protestant and the Catholic Church. And this church was also being governed uh, under the so called patriotic associations. Uh, The underlying text is uh, these associations are absolutely controlled by the Chinese Communist Party and was actually. A tool to um, eradicate and destroy the church. So in Hong Kong, I mean, these so-called that designated by the Communist Party and selected directly by the Beijing Party leadership, uh, that means there uh, won't be any democratic um, you know, voice, uh, dissident voice at all uh, in future Hong Kong. And right now, in essence, all the uh, dissident uh, decent voices um or or political opposition uh and the politicians were either already in jail or exiled so this is a very serious condition
0: so so explain that what ha- practically what kind of difference does this make how strong were the voices in the government uh in in Uh, I'd say right now or in very recent past, how strong were those voices uh, against maybe what the Chinese, the the Communist Party would have preferred?
7: Oh, uh, under the uh, past design uh, with the Hong Kong Basic Law, which is a mini constitution, that actually allows at least one third of the Hong Kong legislators to be popularly elected. Uh, with the uh, election by the Hong Kong people, so you have more than 20 among uh, 70, some uh, I mean 70 legislators are uh, democracy uh, kind of legislators, and now all of them are gone, basically either forced to resign or exile or are and um, 21, uh, 20 out of 21 district councils have been uh, elected and under control by the pro-democracy candidates. And now uh, these candidates were also either arrested or exiled. Um, so this is uh, the seriousness. Um, basically, the Communist Party will use this new mechanism under the so-called Hong Kong National Security Law imposed July 1st last year, uh, that Hong Kong will be uh, one country, one system—that mm-hmm. is, communist system. It,
0: obviously, it's a concern anytime you, as a citizen, as a lose the ability to have an influence over the people that you're governed by. And so, we can understand just as a matter of principle why that would be problematic. Can you think of anything? Um, policy-wise, a a way that people's lives are going to immediately change as a result of this in Hong Kong, things that will be different?
7: Oh, things already have been uh, dramatically different uh, in Hong Kong for ordinary Hong Kong citizens. I mean, their freedom of association, freedom of uh, assembly, freedom of speech, and freedom of religion have been now uh, deeply damaged and uh, threatened. I mean, basically, even the churches, the bank accounts were frozen arbitrarily uh, under the government uh, direction. So this is very serious.
0: Well, Bob Fu, thank you for joining us and informing us about what is happening. We will keep Hong Kong and the people of Hong Kong and in China in our prayers. Uh, and, And may this be another reminder to us of the need for vigilance because there are always people who want to take away our ability to have an input in the way that we are governed and thank you so much for your time appreciate you being here thank you stay with us we're gonna have a conversation on the other side of the break about fairness how do we think about fairness how does god think about fairness that's what we'll discuss with david clausen come on back
9: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com.
8: Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, Because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org/hide.
10: What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony Perkins. You've heard lately about the equality act which is a really insidious dangerous bad piece of legislation that uh, in fact passed the house of representatives and is now in the senate Uh, what you may not have heard as much about but should also know about is fairness for all which is a slightly watered down version of the equality act that still restricts the religious freedom of people in the marketplace but uh Still allows religious organizations to be religious as if it's some kind of um, benevolent act on behalf of the federal government to allow religious organizations to be religious. But as is often the case with uh, legislation, it try the sponsors try to brand it and this idea of fairness for all. Right? Who doesn't like the idea of? Fairness for all. They've obviously given it that name because they think it's a compromise, because they think it does good things for everybody. It's fair, right? Who doesn't like fairness? How should we be thinking about fairness? Is fairness a goal? And we're going to discuss this uh, with our good friend, David Clawson, who's the director of of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. David, thanks for joining us.
2: Well, as always, it's great to finish off the uh, Friday program with you, Joseph. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, this has become a highlight of my week, and uh, for those of you who are listening, I hope you'll just continue to check with us this time every friday as we uh, as we finish the week thinking biblically about something important, and right now we're thinking biblically about something important like Fairness. So what, what do you think the sentiment that they are trying to create when they when they label a piece of legislation fairness for all? What are they trying to communicate to people?
2: Yeah, it's a, a great question. It's the same thing. You know, people need to realize the, the legislatures here in Washington, D.C., uh, they're not dumb. They know what they're doing. So naming something like the Equality Act, you know, everybody wants equality. That, that sounds so benign. That sounds so good. That, so, that sounds so morally praiseworthy. Uh, this other piece of legislation, fairness for all, again, that sounds like who doesn't want fairness? Who wants to be treated discriminatory? And it, it's a way that uh, policymakers and, and legislatures can uh, kind of, again, paint with a broad brush on this types of legislation. But you got to read what these bills are, and at least for fairness for all, Joseph, um, it, it, like you said in your intro, it would be legislation that would essentially do what the Equality Act does, codify sexual orientation, gender identity, these very contested categories uh, into civil rights laws while giving a few tiny little carve-outs for clergy and religious institutions. And so it's pretty clear that that's actually not fair. But it does, just this discussion um, does give us an opportunity to think about it on a really even a Level about what is fairness?
0: What is equality? Yeah, you know, uh, I am a father of four, and you have not had that experience yet. And hopefully, that is down the road for you because I, of course, am much older uh, than you are. But, um, Every child, every parent has heard their child come to them and say, that's not fair. That's not fair, right? And somebody whines about how unfair something is. And then every parent has had the response of responding to their child and saying, well, guess what? Life isn't fair. Which is, of course, the truth. Life is not fair. Does this mean that it's wrong to expect life to be fair or to want life to be fair?
2: Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think, you know, Joseph, let, let's define our terms. You know, I think uh, Webster's Dictionary defines fairness essentially the lack of favoritism uh, towards one side or the other. And on the surface, you know, that, that is a, a noble goal. No no one wants to uh, be treated unfairly or, you know, to be the recipient of being treated, you know, in a way that puts someone down and puts someone up over someone for something that you know doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but I think you know as far as the language that's being used, uh, Kamala Harris actually three days before the 2020 election put out a video where she actually ended this video uh, and said, "Equitable treatment means we all end up in the same place," and, and frankly, Joseph, we know that's not true. Uh, Thomas Sowell, he's the the, the brilliant conservative economist. Uh, economist, he has a book actually called Discrimination Disparities, which he you know he argues that success um, you know it requires intelligence, effort, uh, living in a place with good institutions, and even that can lead to a skewed distribution. of no matter what kind of extensive measures we take to equalize opportunities. You know, frankly, there's going to always be um, some level of how life is. It doesn't mean we shouldn't strive not to treat one another with respect and with dignity. As as Christians, that's how we're supposed to treat people. That's the second statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But I think it's a little bit utopian to think even through legislation, we can always completely level the playing field when, again, that's not how real life works.
0: Well, I think, I think that's true. I think you're, you're right that, you know, obviously life is not fair. But when we think about how we pursue fairness, I'm an attorney, and we would all say, and you hinted at this, that within the justice system, fairness, you know, I, I, I almost think of fairness and justice as being synonymous. But we mm-hmm. want fairness in the sense that everybody should be treated the same. In principle, you should not have a different outcome because you have money or because of the color of your skin or because you know the judge and the judge likes you, right? The justice system, the reason we say justice is supposed to be blind is because we believe that it is fair for the facts to determine the outcome, not the person involved. That justice for you should not be different than justice for me or or anyone else. That being said, and, and you, you refer to... Uh, Thomas Sowell, who is who is really truly a gift to um, America, but in his his analysis of of economics, fairness in economics would not allow, in my judgment, the equal outcomes, because people do not bring the same things to the table um, mm-hmm. in, into the economy, and somebody like, who you know who contributes. You have a You have a Benjamin Franklin or you have a Thomas Edison or you have a Bill Gates or you have a Jeff Bezos, somebody who who reforms an economy or reforms an industry and serves hundreds of millions of people in the process should be compensated differently, right than somebody who you know doesn't cont- make that kind of contribution to the world isn't the, so in that sense, inequity would actually be fair because it reflects what the contribution was, right?
2: Yeah, and absolutely, and, and this isn't um, a, a bad thing. I, I think, unfortunately, even just in our common parlance, uh, you see this especially on the left, is just this idea that there needs to be kind of an equal outcome uh, or a, a quality of outcome. And, and I just do, you know, we're, we're, you and I, Joseph, here at FRC, we're always trying to think about things through the lens of a Christian worldview, and you know what that worldview does? It, it does give us categories to think about these things. And let, let's just be very clear, one of the most fundamental uh, truths that the Christian worldview gives us is that all of us are worthy of, all of us are created in the image of God. That means we're, we, we have this inherent dignity. Uh, we should be treated with love. We, have, we should be treated with respect. But that equality does not mean we're carbon, carbon copies of one another, nor should we be. You know, Scripture actually uh, celebrates the different natural abilities and giftings uh, that we that we have, and I think that diversity is actually part of God's good design. You know, I think about the spiritual gifts. You see this manifest in the church. Aren't you Aren't you glad that not everyone in your church has the same gift of teaching or the same gift of leadership? Because then there would be no one to serve. There would be, there'd be no one to show mercy. And I think that that, that diversity of gifting, um, of skill, again, that's something that we should celebrate. And of course, I, again, I think that as Christians, that's part of what you and I can bring into this conversation about fairness that, uh, you know, maybe other worldviews don't have.
0: I think think that's exactly right. Now, do you think it's possible that calls for fairness are sometimes rooted in what's simply greed or envy? Because maybe God has not called me to be a billionaire, and the fact that I'm not a billionaire, but I would like to be a billionaire in, in truth there are many days when i feel like that would be wonderful right and <laughs> it, it, the 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 calls to for fairness which means i want what they have is that a, a biblical desire for justice and and fairness yeah. or is it simply <laughs> you know i'm i lack contentment with my life and so i want it to be different and i'm going to figure out a way to you know i'm i'm going to frame my envy and my greed in some kind of virtue, because I don't want to just say I'm envious.
2: Yeah, I think you're hitting it absolutely on the head right there, Joseph. And I think that, again, that's why it's so important, you know, in, in policy debate, he who controls the lexicon, who controls the, uh, the dictionary, uh, often can win these debates. And it, it, I think you're right. We often mask uh, what, what, as Christians, we would call sinful desires uh, behind the cloak of these, uh, you know, morally sounding terms. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working in Washington D.C. here at FRC. And just this week, we passed. You know, the, the Biden administration signed. Uh, I think it was two days ago. Signed the 1.9 trillion dollar uh, so-called stimulus bill. And, and, and again, that there's there's so many earmarks in there that's not even funny. A lot of that, you, you see greed, you see envy cloaked um, under these benign terms of helping people out and whatnot. Then I think the the point that it needs to be made, Joseph, in this discussion fairness is fairness doesn't mean sameness. It it just doesn't. There's a difference between giving people equal opportunity versus an equal outcome. So that difference between equality of opportunity, equality of outcome. Sure, there's good legislation, I think, of the Civil Rights Act that made sure that uh, a marginalized group was given opportunities that they had been systematically denied. But again, equality of opportunity is something very different than equality of outcome which no matter what you try to do is going to be very, very, I would say, impossible to, to actually arrive at.
0: For those of us who find ourselves tempted uh, and drawn to this idea of, 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 you know, we just want things to be fair because we want our life to be different, and it, we, we perceive it not to be fair. Uh, let's read quickly uh, Philippians 4, 10 and 11. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And, of course, this is Paul writing to the Philippian church. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, for those of us who are familiar with Paul's story, as he describes it throughout the New Testament in his letters, um, Paul is a guy who struggled, and he suffered, and um, but never, I, I don't think, one time in any of his writings does he call for fairness. And no. correct me if you think I'm wrong there, but I think that's instructive, because this is a guy who was maligned and mistreated faced all manner of injustice, and certainly unfairness, however you want to define that. Um, But his exhortation uh, and his encouragement to the Philippian church was that he learned, in whatever circumstance, to be content. And I think as a spiritual matter, um, we want to pursue fairness, certainly in the way we treat other people. It's a way of showing love, certainly, by not showing preference to people and by treating people well because they are created in the image of God. And so we want to project that to other people as a way of loving them. But for ourselves, when it comes to what do we expect uh, from life, what do we expect from God, what are we pursuing, what is most important to us, I think what Paul would say is worry less about your circumstances and fairness, because fairness, our perception of fairness, is really a, a function of our circumstances, and worry more about whether your heart is right and whether you can be content in who God is, uh, regardless of what's going on around you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I read Paul's letters, and they're they're full of the harrowing journeys he went through, and yet, despite all of the things he went through, which, you know, ended in his own martyrdom for the faith, how, why was he content, Joseph? Well, he was content because he had that relationship uh, with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, I got to preach every week uh, to about 40 or 50 uh, senior adults. And, and you know that, that group of people, uh, they didn't have a lot as far as earthly possessions went, uh, but they were some of the most joyful, hopeful, loving, kind, and generous people I've ever met in my life. And, and why is that? Well, it's because they had that contentment we're talking about. And again, I think that's something unique that the Christian worldview brings to the table is it gives us that contentment. Why are we content? Because ultimately we know no matter what happens to us, whatever the circumstances are, uh, that we have that relationship with Jesus Christ and that we're forgiven our sins and we will we were reconciled to that whole God who is ultimately the standard of equality, justice, and fairness, and through Christ, we have a relationship with him. And again, that's what brings us that joy and that contentment.
0: I think that's really good. And, and, as a closing thought, because fairness is connected with justice and equality and getting what we deserve. And one of the first things that Christians should be aware of is that we do not want what we deserve. Yeah. And it is a, it is a foundational Christian truth that Because we are sinners, what we deserve is eternity in hell. And it is God's grace and his mercy uh, and also his justice that sent Jesus here uh, to die for us so that we would not get what we deserve. So what we don't want to do is have a posture of, I want to get what I deserve all the time because the reality is our entire faith, our entire worldview is built on the idea that we're not going to get what we deserve and praise the Lord for that. Because even if our circumstances are challenging, um, it's going to be good for eternity. David, thank you for joining us again. I hope you have a great, great weekend.
2: You too. Thank you, Joseph.
0: And for the rest of you, we hope you have a great weekend as well. We hope you are blessed. We hope that you are content in whatever circumstances God has brought to you. Be blessed.